Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 2, Episode 29. Today, we are thrilled to have romance author Olivia Day joining us to talk about her latest book, Shipwrecked. Olivia, we're so excited to have you here. I am delighted to be chatting with you and excited that you have a copy of my book. I also have a copy of my book, and that is my only book that is unpacked. <laughs> I just moved four days ago. So please, I'm very sorry about the empty bookshelves. Please know that this is not normal. <laughs> no, I appreciate you fitting us into the schedule because yeah. <laughs> moving is, That's, is a I, lot. I don't think I could have done it when I moved. I would have been like, no, nah, I, I can't make it. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we are big fans of your work and you write these amazing fun romances we have a lot of things we want to talk about like one thing that i think you are known for which is incredible is you write these body positive fat positive romances with plus size characters um and and one thing that we wanted to ask about that i think is interesting is you do a range across even just the series of different kinds of body types because like fat bodies don't come in one shape or size and I think that is so cool also they're not all just like traditionally gorgeous looking and we've talked a lot about this that we love that you do this and we'd love to hear more about kind of how you've approached that maybe why you made some of those choices anything you want to say about it I mean I think that uh, within I fat representation is important to me it always has been. Um, my first series that I wrote, which is now out of print, did have some fat female main characters, but not all because body diversity was sort of what I was, at that time, what I wanted to portray. Um, and then at some point around 2016, 2017, a, a major book came out with uh, fat main characters that I thought was incredibly bad representation and harmful. And just out of spite, I basically told, I decided every book from now on, like, there's going to be bad people. <laughs> because I'm like, I, you can't, if there's harmful rep out there, I wanted to be putting what I consider, I mean, everyone has different sort of ideas of what they consider good fat rep. But mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that there was fat rep out there that I would not consider harmful. And then within fatness, as you said, I mean, we're not a monolith. There are different body types and also different relationships with fat, our own bodies, fat bodies. Yeah. So that you're going to have some characters. I never want to write a character who is self-loathing uh, because of their body size. That does not interest me. I feel like that's a story that's been told many times before them. The self-loathing character who learns to love their body as it is with the help of their significant other. I, it's just not when it's, I, I think in the history of romance, the few books that we did see with fat female main characters, that was overwhelmingly the primary story that was being mm -hmm. told again and again. And at some point it makes it seem like, of course you're self-loathing if you're fat. Right. Uh, yeah. And that the the means by which you would overcome that is by the love of, I mean, let's face it, a good man, because it was, you know, FM for the most part. So, so I'm interested in telling that story. But I do have some characters who 
Um, you know, April in spoiler alert mm -hmm. has some insecurities and her sort of relationship with her body is one where she's had to overcome. She starts mm -hmm. the book loving herself and loving her body. Her mm -hmm. struggle is not that sort of her growth is learning how to put boundaries between mm -hmm. herself and people she loves who are hurting her, especially over issues of fatness. Mm -hmm. But, but she has some insecurities still lingering, but she does love herself and her body. For Lauren from All the Feels, she has gener is generally someone who sort of tried to make herself small, not mm -hmm. necessarily in a physical sense, although in a scene set on an airplane, she also tries to do that mm -hmm. physically, but not to take up much space in the world as far as demanding things for herself. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that has to do with how the world treats fat people, mm -hmm. but she doesn't loathe herself and she doesn't loathe her body. She's relatively body neutral, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then we have Maria from Shipwrecked, where if you've read it, you know that Maria is like a thousand percent confident about her body in almost all areas of, of her life. She has vulnerabilities, but her vulnerabilities have zero to do with her body or her appearance. Like yeah. She Mm -hmm. you, you mind salty language? No, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Zero fucks. What yeah, anyone yeah. else? Yeah. <laughs> no, body. she does. Yeah. I mean, and so, and that was very deliberate on my part because I wanted to show that there, um, there's a panoply of different body types mm -hmm. and um, relationships with our bodies. So Lauren is short and like apple shaped, and even if she lost weight, would not be considered conventionally attractive. Mm -hmm. Um. April is uh, was more what you often see in romance to someone who probably would be considered conventionally attractive if she were mm -hmm. thinner with more of an hourglass shape. And then I sort of saw Maria as more like a rectangle, mm -hmm. like really beautiful, but not like small waist or anything, mm -hmm. just like a statuesque, like solid, beautiful, super confident fat woman. Um, and... Yeah, so you're right. I mean, that is important to me. Also, body normalization is important mm -hmm. to me. So I have a book, 40 Love, where um, Tess gets her period during the book because I feel like, again, that's normalizing bodies. And mm -hmm. in the case of shipwreck, body hair. Like that there's different, these are normal human bodies and they look different and they do different mm -hmm. things. And there's nothing unromantic or unsexy about it. Yeah, <laughs> Doc, I mean, this is basically the conversation we were having. This is like, like the whole conversation we were coming, we were when we were coming up with our questions. So it's just about like how much we love that representation mm -hmm. and seeing it. I know for me, it's been um, just really refreshing when I read your books to read characters of varying like sizes as like a small fat person, and like it gives me like better grasp on just the various types of feelings we all have. Also, if that makes sense, because like obviously we mm -hmm. all feel differently about our bodies. Um, and especially like the way in which society treats us, like as your body changes and shifts as you age, because like I've definitely gained weight as I aged, and like it's a thing, it's fine. But like, you know, sometimes you're reading things, you're just like, oh wow, this isn't like it's not bad that I have cellulite or whatever thing, and just feels so refreshing. Um, on the plus size spectrum of uh characters, what inspired you with Peter to make a plus size hero? Because I was over the moon because I do not. <laughs> I'm, I'm the weirdo. I don't like, like, skinny boys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am a big boy girl. I don't like the, like, 
um you know overly twiggy boys in romances sometimes I'm like no I have no interest if I don't feel like you can throw my 200 plus pound body I don't want it <laughs> I mean and I so I just love Peter <laughs> no I love Peter too and I loved and that's something that I'm going to continue to do you know every at least every couple or every you know three books to have a larger uh, male main character too. I mean, I think there have been conversations within Romance Landia about mm -hmm. how, even though we have still have a long way to go as far as showing diverse bodies for female main characters, that male main characters actually are much, there's much less body diversity. Like they're almost yeah. all ripped. I mean, <laughs> very yeah. big, handsome, ripped. Uh, and with some exceptions, which I could name, but it, it there's actually further to go in that. And there are mm -hmm. male readers of romance, of course there's male writers of romance. Mm -hmm. um, but also in general, I think that um, it's important to show body diversity that different types of male bodies are desirable mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Uh, I also hearken back to a conversation that I had with years ago with, do you remember Corey Alexander mm -hmm. by any chance who wrote a Zan West? They wrote a Zan West. Yeah. Um, and issues of fatness and fat representation were super important to them. And I remember having a conversation on Twitter with them about this, because for me, when I looked at fat representation, I was sort of thinking about, for men, I was thinking about TV, where you often have like larger men who are sort of like schlubby, larger men who are with conventionally super hot women, mm -hmm. like uh, particularly on sitcoms and things like that. Yeah. And when you see larger women on TV, they're almost always paired with larger men mm -hmm. or men who are not considered as conventionally hot. So for me, it felt uh, transgressive in a good way to show a fat woman with a uh, mm -hmm. you know, conventionally attractive man. But as Corey pointed out very rightfully, number one, that's not necessarily what's happening in romance and books. It's, ac it's actually not that at all. But also that when it's always a fat woman paired with a conventionally attractive man, it's as if his approval of her basically is the proof that she can still be attractive and fat. Mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. It's like the stamp of approval by a skinny person is what's yeah. needed. And that there is something really beautiful and important about having two fat characters who don't need the approval of anyone else who is thin or, you know, consider conventionally fit or whatever, that they can desire and love each other without any reference to what thin people might think about them mm -hmm. or their bodies. And I have remembered that conversation for a long time. Unfortunately, we lost Corey a couple of years ago. Um, but it changed my thinking on that topic. And I wanted to sort of incorporate that. So. Mm. I appreciate that. I mean, because I think I see value in both of those representations. And so mm -hmm. I think seeing all of it is, um, is, is great. I think one thing that we were talking about as well with your books, with your, your heroes, but really with all of your characters, but specifically with the heroes, is they don't feel like sort of fantasy stereotypes. They all are different for each, from each other. And they feel mm -hmm. like real people. Um, which I, I, I love, I love that yeah. you feel like they, they, like, it feels less like it's, you know, sort of some, I don't know, sometimes you read romances, and it's like the guy is sort of the stand in for like a specific set of traits and tropes, 
mm-hmm. more so than like a fully fleshed out person. And that is not something that we've seen, I think, in your books. And so I'd love to hear some about how you approach writing your heroes, your inspiration for these very different sorts of men. I think I don't have a ton of interest in writing um, sort of a conventional uber, like stereotypically manly. I wouldn't even know, honestly, I wouldn't know how to go about writing like a super alpha, like alpha hole. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the beginning of this is kind of cranky, but that's as far as I can get. And, And in fact, you know, this was my my sort of sad attempt at enemies to lovers and it lasts like three chapters (laughs) i'm not good at that Uh, my friends to lovers is sort of my jam like Mm -hmm. or things like that i'm just not as good at it um i i wouldn't even know how to go about writing it in fact one thing this is somewhat off topic but uh one thing i thought was hilarious is years ago and this book is not published but i wrote a book a futuristic gothic and i had a villain right? Mm-hmm. And a, a male villain. And so on one of those, like, you know, occasionally people post quotes from their um, stories in progress on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I post a quote from my male villain, which I thought was sort of um, a great example of how evil he was and irredeemable. And people are like, he sounds hot. I'm like, no! not the hero. So the only time I have made a believably like alcohol esque hero, at least for the space of one sentence, he was meant to be the villain. So, <laughs> um, so and it's also to me not to feed into toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. like, um, and I and, and or to feed into gender essentialism. That if mm-hmm. you are a man, you're like this. If you're a woman, you're like this. I mean, I just don't think. I don't think people. Or I think most people are more complex than that. And I also don't want to write male main characters who don't have a full range of human emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not just like possessiveness and anger and like I love protective male main characters. That's one of my caretaker protective male main characters is one of my um, is catnip for me reading and writing. But um, yeah, I'm just not I want to show the full range of human emotion and human experience in my male main characters. Mm -hmm. And they have to have some sort of character arc. There has to be something in there that changes over the course of the book that leaves them in a better position at the end and more able to sort of love and have a happy ending at the end or else the story isn't as rich if there's no change. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you put all these things together. I'm glad that they seem like people i will say if you want to see the full range of human emotions then there's a reason all the feels is called all the feels and it's because alex is completely unafraid of all any and all emotion like sadness anger joy any of it he feels it a thousand percent and that was part of the joy of writing him i can see that so much um i feel like all your heroes like have gone to therapy almost because they actually express emotions <laughs> and they've like started to escape the uh, toxic masculinity. 
I love it. I mean, all of this explains so much of why I think your books really work for me (laughs) is because I I am not the biggest fan either of the sort of alpha heroes. And so I'm always like, oh, I love the hero so much in these books. I mean, I know there are people who would, there there are books out there for everyone. Yeah. And I hope the people who, who love serve the alphas and alpha holes, like, you know, they're, the books are out there, and I hope that they, you know, find them and love them, but they're probably not necessarily going to love my books. <laughs> so. I mean, I like an alpha hole sometimes, so I, mean, I love your books, Like, but I have to be in the mood. There's a very yes. specific mood in which I'm like, yes, let's go on this journey. Love it. Um, is he... Yep. I was like, wait, am I? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We talked for so long, I forgot. Uh, We wanted to know a little bit about your journey as as a romance reader, because I always think it's interesting to hear where romance writers got started reading romance, Um, whether, you know, that was the illicit, like, sneaking your mom's bodice rippers or finding them later in life. I literally began reading romances before I can remember. My mom pile inside your closet. My parents' closet off to the left, and I was told not to read those. So whenever I was left unsupervised, I dove headfirst into the pile, the pile <laughs> of books. And I'm 45, so this was the early 80s. So I was like six or seven when I started, because I, I was wow. a good reader from a pretty early age. Mm-hmm. So I was reading things that, you know, I could I could technically read things for adults, Um I didn't understand everything <laughs> that I was yeah. reading, especially since we're talking like early 80s, like dubious consent at best, like yeah. at best a lot of it. And I didn't understand, frankly, a lot of the sex scenes, but but I I found them very, um, you know, entertaining. But also I think that I was just really hungry to read books where um, – there was a happy ending guarantee. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I lived in a pretty fraught household in a lot of ways. And I think I really need to hear that like loving relationships that would last forever and end happily, that that was something that was possible and could happen. And it was a story that I need to be told to me many times over the years. To It was a very comforting story to me. Mm. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, um, I think the the other interesting thing, and going back to some of the things we've already sort of dis- discussed, is wondering about the journey because I feel like for all of us, it usually is a journey, but towards body acceptance and towards like being able to to create characters that are you know positive about about their bodies that have fat positivity to them and like in various ways but I think I don't know I think it's amazing to see all of the different pieces of that in different characters on page um but what has how how has that been for for you I mean I think it's been a process part of the reason I haven't published the first series that came out was my final female main character Mary in the book um had a history of disordered eating and her history of disordered eating was actually my history of disordered eating. But I had not fully, I don't think, grappled with 
all the implications and how I felt about myself and my past and my history. And I think there are things in that story that would be, would be harmful to readers to read mm-hmm. now. And it, it would, it would take some work to revisit that and make it into something that I would feel good about republishing. And at some point you have to decide where your energy is going to go. Um, so I think that I, I am more thoughtful about it now uh, than I was before, partially, you know, talking through the issue with people within the community, but also just thinking through it on my own uh, and sort of very deliberately, instead of sort of just falling into writing characters who looked more like me, thinking that at a time, what do I want to say? What in here would give the wrong, what in here could hurt vulnerable readers who are mm-hmm. struggling Many of them, not all of them, but many of them may be struggling with issues of um, self-esteem or body sense around the issue of uh, fatness. I, um, I mean, I think that I actually I just wrote an essay. I don't know if they're going to publish it, but for Scary Mommy, they asked me to write an essay about how parenting sort of um, impacted sort of body image and and writing. And one of the things that um, I, what I wrote about was how it all sort of worked together in the sense that when my child, who's now 12, was little and we were in the bath together, they began to sort of look at my body and wonder about things like my varicose veins or my moles or just different parts of me. And they were just curious. They were just like, well, what's that? And one of the things I swore to myself when I had a kid was that I was not going to put myself down in front of my child, that I was not going to sort of pass on a legacy of of hating my body and doing it in a way that that my child could hear and then sort of internalize that. I was not going to do that. So I had to come up with kind ways to talk about my own body because I was in that bath with my child. So... It's, this is in the essay, but like she saw my varicose veins, which would normally be something would be considered a flaw or ugly or whatever. They're big. Like, and I said, that's a blueberry river. And we pretended to like slurp up the blueberry river and my moles. Like I have the you know, freckled mole type things. I said that we said there was a chocolate chips and we pretended to eat those. And like, I, it was sort of the first time I was forced, this is before I started writing, forced to describe my body in ways that I had to be super careful about not harming the person who was hearing it, even though, you know, at the time they were very young. Writing, once I started really thinking through writing, maybe the past four years, was very much the same process. Like, working through how to describe bodies accurately without trying to sort of skip over or elide the fact that they're fat, like the reality of of having a fat body, but having that be at worst neutral, but at best something that can be loved and desired, not because you pretend that the fatness isn't there, but that, and not because the person is fat, but just because it's theirs, it's their body, it's loved and desired. And then to speak kindly, about fat bodies was for me transformative. You know, some of the sort of 
gross shit from like fat phobia in our society um, that was still sort of rolling around in my head somewhere. You know, first, as I started trying to be kind about my own body in front of my child, and then as I started to write about people with bodies like mine kindly, at some point, it sort of displaces some of that ugliness. Like if you're talking about, if I truly believe that people with my body type can be beautiful and loved and desired, if I believe that, and I do, then how can that not apply to me as well? And like, it's so, I mean, it's been transformative for me. And so I think I've evolved too, as I've done it to sort of see how that works. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hopefully has, um, for some readers at least, has some impact on them, but they should know that it's it's not just them, it's me too, as I'm writing that. You know, I'm not one for affirmations, but it turns out if you speak kindly about people's bodies who have bodies like yours again and again, you begin to think more kindly about your own body. I can totally see that. Yeah, I love that. Well, and it's, it's, sorry. Go ahead. Um, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, 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 no, I was just going to comment too. It's, it's interesting because I think that is something with my own kids that I've also really been intentional about of like, I am not going to say anything negative about my body or your body because like growing up, I think my mom was really careful not to say anything negative about my body because that's what she grew up with. But she would say negative things about her own Mm -hmm. body all Mm -hmm. the time. And um, I think didn't realize how much I would internalize that. And so, yeah, I think that that's, that's huge of like, how, how do you talk about yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's also reflected when you read it. Like I, find when I read books with fat main characters, I think kinder of my body at the end of the day, even um, kinder than I maybe would have been previously, you know, maybe even earlier that day to myself, I'll leave the book like, you know, no, my little tummy's cute. <laughs> and it's fine. You know, yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, one of the things too, that we want to talk about was on body autonomy and stuff with Maria and how, you know, she denies having to lose weight for the show. She says, absolutely not. And like having body hair and things like that. It's just, it's really interesting to read a book. I don't, it, it sounds weird, but I feel like we don't get that in romance a lot where it's like, yeah, she's got body hair. Who cares? Or, you know, yeah, she's on a show and not going to lose weight. So like, I feel like you talking about this, like that's very much reflected in Maria as well. I, I expected a lot of pushback. <laughs> about the fact that Maria like refuses to shave like I think that it helps that she's Swedish so I think that some people who might otherwise like might have been a little bit more hesitant are like ah Swedes (laughs) (laughs) Europeans you know those Europeans (laughs) what do you do like it's been one of my goals literally since like I started writing in 2014-15. I have wanted to have a character on the page who like does not shave for since then. And in fact, my first agent, like I wrote another book that will never be published with a female who did not shave. And my agent made me take it out. My then agent, no longer my agent. Um, because she said, it's never going to, no, no publisher is going to be willing to pick that up. So I was expecting pushback. Mm. And I got none. 
And I am shocked as far as I, I mean, I don't read a lot of reviews, particularly like <laughs> negative reviews, but I have not seen, I haven't seen much commentary on it. Like I, I expect yeah. the people to be more, and I'm, I'm happy about that, but because it's not something I, I'm not sure I have read it in a romance before yeah. where a, a female character explicitly does not shave. I expected more pushback. I'm glad I did. Yeah. You know, I think the timing might be good. I wonder a little bit because I think over the course of the pandemic, something that I've seen on like TikTok and stuff is there has been a, a bit of a sort of feminist movement of like, we don't need to shave and wear bras. Like that's been kind of a thing in the last couple of years. And so I kind of wonder in terms of timing, if this sort of came at a time where people were like, yeah, okay. Some people do. That. I've noticed <laughs> Um, not in a bad way, obviously, but I've noticed what I'm out about more people that actually don't shave. And I'm like, this is exciting. <laughs> like to see. <laughs> it's weird. And it's like, this is exciting, but it is because you're like, oh, hey, there's somebody in my town who's not like shaving their legs or pits or whatever. And like, mm -hmm. look at them go. And I'm like proud of them because I would love to, but I'm like too, I, I can't, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not there on my journey. One day. <laughs> no, I have the same thought. I feel like. <laughs> But I love yeah. it. I think that's great. I think the important part to me would be just having the choice yeah. and not having to feel bad about it either way. If you want to shave your legs, shave your legs. I mean, who cares? Mm -hmm. But if you don't want to, I mean, you're a human being and we get body hair. I don't yeah. know why we should pretend that we don't. Right. <laughs> well, um, I just thought it was hilarious in the book where they're like, "Oh yeah, because you know, a, a Viking, a Viking woman shipwrecked on an island would be really concerned about hair removal." Like, That's perfect. It's so accurate, though. It's like, yeah, let's let's take this fantasy show, and they're definitely fully clean shaven. Just oh, yeah. that's just that happens. Yeah. They really, you know, they're really taking the time to get a knife and like shave down there. Yeah, in the middle of war. They're running off to a day spa in like medieval, like yeah. desolate island. They're gonna oh canoe gosh. over to the nearest island where there's oh, like yeah. a day spa. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know what, I love it though because I think I do think it's hilarious. I remember when I was like getting ready to get married, well, yeah, eleven years, half years ago, um, and some of my friends were like horrified that I wasn't planning on getting waxed and I was and they were like what well why and I was like I'll shave my legs but like I'm I, like why would I set that standard of expectation like that no <laughs> like that is not what I know but I mean, it's once you do it it's like, like you can't back out so. right I'm like no that's I'm not so uh I just I just think it's funny that like there are people who sort of feel like well like isn't that what you're supposed to do yeah my husband is is Swedish, and when we first met, my husband is, if I should say this, but he doesn't care. He's not shy. Like, my husband really loves my upper body. <laughs> like, like okay. really. He okay. could, does not care about my legs. So when I talked to him when we were first dating, and I was not a huge leg shaver to begin with I just wore like I worked at Chloe and Williamsburg for a while we wore long dresses like it didn't and stockings up to the knee it did not matter um so I was like how do you feel about leg shaving and he's like I'm not gonna shave my legs 
Like, why would you bother shaving yours? And I was like, this is too good to be true. I said, are you sure? He's like, I really do not care. And I tested him. I would go like a day longer in between shaves each time. It turns out, yeah, he really doesn't give a fuck. I mean, he really, he does not care at all. Like, at all, at all. And I was so happy. I was like, you are the platonic ideal of the man of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's softer than like the prickle between shaves. So like, just Mm -hmm. let it go. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a time before RWA imploded, the Romance Writers of America, where like, Mm -hmm. that was my, my annual shearing. (laughs) 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 was for RWA because I wore dresses. And not all of them were long. And I was like, mm-hmm. we sent out a sheet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Wow. Oh, goodness. So, okay. So this, I, I think, is in line with something that we, we, we've talked about. But, you know, talking about, um, you know, the way that you write bodies, it What's great about it, and I think something I haven't seen a lot of, is that, like, on the one hand, it's not, like, fetishizing to the fatness, which I think sometimes you get in some kind of odd ways, Um, but it's also not avoiding describing their bodies. Like, they feel specific and realistic, but, like, joyful in their bodies. And so we're wondering, too, like, how do you approach writing? Because I think where you see this a lot, especially, is in sex scenes. So, like, how do you approach that with writing sex scenes that feel like real and embodied for these characters, but don't cross that line into being like a, a, a fetishized thing. Well, I mean, I think that is something that's important to me and that's deliberate on my part because a lot of times um, in books with bad fat rep, there's a lot of dehumanizing language used. The book that sort of out of spite got me into writing nothing but fat characters. Um, <laughs> referred to one fat character's elephantine like zoo animal like you know words i mean oh there's my goodness wow you know it, i there are classic books that are beloved in romance from like 10 20 years ago mm-hmm. where they would use where like the villain in the piece they talk about blubber like the mm-hmm. villains are often fat but these are all words that are very loaded with dehumanized words like animal words or hairy pig like our villain you know another historical romance yeah. famous author like these are these are things that are dehumanizing but it to me is equally dehumanizing to sort of fetishize fatness that like you only want them because they're fat and that's also right. dehumanizing because you're bringing them down to just like a part of their body and if you're into that that's great but that's for erotica to me, that's for erotica. It is hard for me to believe a romantic relationship with a happily ever after if the person wants you, their desire for you is specifically dependent on your fatness. I mean, what happens if you get sick? Do they not want you anymore? Like, it. my goal yeah. is to write yeah. characters who no matter whether you gained weight or lost weight, they would still love you and want you. Um, so yes, that's important to me. Um, in sex scenes, I make sure that it, it kind of happens. I had, this part I didn't think about as much, but I do try to make sure that the things that they admire about their partner, some of it has to do with like, you know, it can be 
that they love the like the curve the swell of their tummy, right? But it could also be their eyes. They're, that it's not just body parts that sort of um, are more associated with fatness. That there are different aspects of them that they love mm. um, and desire. Some of which have to do with fatness. You know that can be associated with fatness, like big boobs or whatever, mm-hmm. but not all of which are. Um, but I, it is important to me not to try to sort of um, elide the reality of, of fatness. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want you suddenly going into the sex scene and suddenly like it's a centerfold, <laughs> you know, a centerfold for, you know, a hustler or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, you want someone who has... Um, it's like the Blueberry River, right? Yeah. These things that could be perceived as flaws are not flaws unless you deem them flaws. They are neutral mm-hmm. facts about your body, which was sort of how I know that there was some controversy over like how Alex thinks about porn at the beginning mm-hmm. of all the feels. Yeah. For me, he is sort of neutrally describing this is what she looks like. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Doesn't mean that he thinks that. You know, he's saying it doesn't mean that he doesn't like her or desire her. It's just this is what she looks like neutrally. And then mm-hmm. he's not. In fact, he loves birds. And he, you know, you find out later that, like, obviously he desires her. And but he never found her undesirable. It's just that he's neutrally describing this is what her body looks like. And that is to a certain extent what I try to do in the sex scenes is to say, mm-hmm. just like Lauren's sort of beak-like nose. <laughs> can mm-hmm. be something that he can love because mm-hmm. it reminds him of, um, you know, the winter wren or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that stretch marks can be like, you know, like tiger stripes mm-hmm. or like, you know, your stomach, if you have a larger stomach, can be like soft and warm and pillowy. Mm-hmm. And they're not flaws unless you say they're flaws. Otherwise, yeah. they're just they're just facts about your body and we all have bodies and all of our bodies are unique. And so I just tried to sort of factually work it into a loving sex scene, but, you know, try to describe their body as it exists, but not going in with the presumption that those things are flaws. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. I also love with, with Lauren um, that, that she is, you know, like she doesn't, I guess this is the thing, like she doesn't have to be beautiful to be mm-hmm. desirable. And I think that that's so, so huge. I think sometimes there's this assumption that like, I don't know, that like people have to, I don't like, like there are people that I might find attractive, for instance, that mm-hmm. aren't like conventionally good looking, but are mm-hmm. still appealing because they, you know, are striking or charismatic or, you know, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. so I think that's so nice to see in a heroine, uh-huh. um, you know, where we have a hero who is into her and sees her for who she is and wants that, but she doesn't have to be this convention- conventionally sort of gorgeous person. I mean, I think sometimes within fat rep, there can be sort of a, hopefully an unintentional message being sent that a desirable fat person is a fat person who would be beautiful if they lost weight, Mm -hmm. right? Conventionally beautiful if they Mm -hmm. lost weight. Um, And there are some fat people out there who would be conventionally beautiful if Mm -hmm. they lost weight, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. And like, does that mean that no one can love them? 
and that no one can desire them and that they can't have a happily ever after? No. Mm -hmm. And I think that needs to be reflected on the page too. Not all of us, if we lost weight, would be like mm -hmm. modeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you also like incorporate the idea that like attraction is more than like what you visually see on someone. Yeah. With Lauren, especially in that, in all the feels. Um, and that's so powerful because I think I see the argument. This is a TikTok thing I see all the time where men are like, no, women just like him because he's muscly. And it's like, no, no, no. We're all attracted to the fact that he's like, it was like Henry Cavill, like that he's building a PC and playing D&D &D and is a total nerd. <laughs> Could care less about the muscles. Like, I didn't blink an eye at that man until like I saw him doing nerdy things. And I was like, oh, you're cute now. But like, you know, sure, he's conventionally attractive, but that's there's more into that pie than just like you look good or you're hot or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Did and you just, see on Twitter? I think it was from TikTok. There was this dude who's like a one man band playing was it the black keys he was playing all Gosh. the like he had it all around him he was playing all yeah. the instruments and he was not like i think he was a bigger guy he wasn't mm -hmm. like particularly well kempt or anything mm -hmm. and he went he it was impressive and if you looked at the twitter comments below there are women who were like they were panties dropping like yeah. everywhere and he was because not, competence right because <laughs> that's a com lot competence porn is Big yeah. For me. yeah. Like when Same. I see someone do something well, like my first ever significant, real significant other, I worked at Colonial Williamsburg and I listened to his tour of the governor's mm -hmm. palace. And he was so good. He was so good with his group. Like he was very different for me. He was quite um, a lot quieter, mm -hmm. but like he had done his research and the groups would like lean into him. He was very quietly, very charismatic. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, damn. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, in that moment, and you know, he was a lot older than I was, I think, you know, but I found him deeply attractive in that moment because he was just really damn good at what he did. And I really admired it. Mm -hmm. I love that. Is that like the nerdiest yeah. like attraction story ever? Like, <laughs> no, I think that, no, I think, I think it's listen, normal. I think it's, I think it's great. I like, <laughs> I can. I can relate um, to things of like finding things like that appealing. Like right before my now husband and I started dating, he's he's a scientist. He is like, I don't understand half of what he does, honestly. But like I would sit and listen to him try to explain math and physics to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's something to that. There is. Yeah. It's, just, it's well portrayed in all the fields, especially. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay. The one of the other questions we have is that you always you have in the uh, spoiler alert series, um, which my brain is like all of the books. So you have the excerpts. So you have the fan fiction. You do the group text and all that, um, and like the different transcripts, like and all the things. How do you? How do you, do you like doing them? Like, is it something you just really love doing? Because they're so they're really well done. Yeah. And often, like, I don't skip them in books because I'm not like a skipper person. Like I don't skip epilogues and things, but there's something that I will like kind of skim usually, but yours, I'm always like, yes, yes, must read all of this. I need all of the details, all of the info about everyone in the group chat and what's going on in their lives. And just like, I need the check-in and it's always fun and enjoyable. So do you, um, yeah. Do you particularly love doing those? Are you just like, what made you want to start doing them and adding them to the series? You know, at first I thought about doing as sort of a bonus um, when I wrote spoiler alert, you know, some bonus material on my yep. website, 
But I ended up, I, you know, I chatted with it about it with my editor, and we ended up incorporating it within the book, um, in part because because Marcus and April have a backstory mm-hmm. of having been sort of beta reader friends, mm-hmm. longing for more a little bit, that it's a way to incorporate that backstory without having to do like a ton of, and then two years ago. Yeah. Know? Yes, <laughs> you know, Bob. <laughs> it's a way to sort of do that. And yeah. specifically in spoiler alert, I will tell you that one of the reasons, so I had a few of them. And then I thought, well, it would just be fun to do different types. But my contract, my first contract with Avon was for spoiler alert and all the feels. And my editor put it in my contract that I was contracted to to write two hilarious (laughs) rom-coms. Like not just that they had to be funny, they had to be hilarious. And I, I wrote my draft of spoiler alert and there's a lot, there's some heavy themes in there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, And I thought, yeah, it's funny, but is it contractually hilarious? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) So part of the role in spoiler alert is to add humor. Mm -hmm. So you have like Marcus's and I have, I had, I mean, to answer your other question, I had so much fun (laughs) writing those. Marcus's terrible scripts we're just, uh, we're so fun. I love punny titles mm-hmm. and, and I love the cash chats. That was just, those are just great yeah. fun for me. Uh, but it was a way to sort of add some lightness that the mm-hmm. story needed. Um, all the feels is not in spoiler alert. They're between every chapter. Mm-hmm. All the feels ran long. So there's no way we could have them between every chapter, but also I felt like there was enough humor in the story itself mm-hmm. because Alex, mm-hmm. I find hilarious. Yeah. Um, yes. And in his interaction with Lauren, their banter, that mm-hmm. I felt like it didn't need as much of that between the chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think to a certain extent that it didn't make as much sense with shipwreck too. There are some, but mm-hmm. you know, Peter does not necessarily have the same sort of acting history as Marcus, mm-hmm. because for Marcus, it was also doing some character work. Mm-hmm. Because the point is, he didn't value his own talent enough to like push for better roles. Mm-hmm. He just said, if they want me, I'm going to play this role, even though I can do, you know, I should be able to get better roles than this. Yeah. Um, but that's not going to be the case for Alex or Peter. And so um, there's only one. <laughs> I did get to make up one last terrible TV show in Shipwrecked. If you, have you, yeah, you've read it. So I read most of it. I have like a hundred pages left. (laughs) So I won't spoil it. There's a reference to it, but it is a sort of a takeoff on Baywatch, which (laughs) I cannot wait. (laughs) Um, And that was really entertaining to me. And I was glad to sort of revisit that uh, for at least one, like, reference so so no it was a lot of fun i I think one of the highlights of my literary career is going to be the snippet from one wheel to real from spoiler (laughs) alert where it's the 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 coming of age story of a troubled unicyclist in portland (laughs) 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 and his his (laughs) unicycle he falls into a unicycle game and like has to get himself out like that snippet of the script that i wrote is like 
One of my towering achievements as a writer. That's amazing. It's <laughs> well, so good. This, like perfectly dovetails with kind of the next thing we were thinking about is you do such a great job of balancing humor with more serious topics because, you know, all of these books have some more weighty material to them, but they're also really funny. And so I did wonder how, you know, how do you, how do you do that? How do you find the right balance with, with writing them? I mean, it took me a while in my writing career. One of the areas I think I've grown over time is my willingness to be just nakedly emotional. I think that in my first few books, the stories that are out of print, they have more farce. I do have a weakness for farce. A little more farce, but less sort of emotional weight. And part of that is because um, I didn't trust that people would want to read my writing if it weren't funny. And I wrote a, uh, a novella between those two series, between that first series and um, the spoiler alert series, which uh, was about uh, a marriage of convenience for health insurance because she finds a lump on her breast and she needs, she needs to get like, she's gained a free mammogram, but she needs to get a biopsy. And I was like, this book, it can't, I mean, I'm sure there is an author out there who could make it funny. Um, I, wasn't that author. And I, I didn't actually want it to be funny. That wasn't the story I wanted to tell. I want to tell a, a tender story and like, but a relatively more sort of weighty story. Uh, and I got really good, not very few people read it. It's in one of the sweetest in the Gale, but I mean, I think more people have read it now, but like some of the people who read it really loved it. And part of they loved it. And I thought, well, maybe people would still like my writing, even if there were a chapter or two where there weren't a lot of laughs. As long as they trust that like, we will get back to some lighter stuff in the end. So I think that uh, the Spoiler Alert series is really the first series where I sort of went full bore in on sincere emotion. Like I wasn't trying to keep a emotional distance to sort of protect myself be ironic about it at all um but but at the same time it is a rom-com i get the sense where i feel like this is reading too too heavy you know then i will find a way to sort of counterbalance that in spoiler that was the interstitials between the chapters i just finished writing a book i just turned into my editor days ago and there are a lot of the female main character is as messy a female main character written. She is angry and she's sad. And like, and it, she is, you, her sort of story in the book is figuring out, and she, she's depressed and not like depressed mm -hmm. in the sense of like, like in the, in the sense that she's depressed and doesn't realize that for some of the book. So, and the female, the male main character is like sort of starchy, solemn. I love him dearly, you know. He's uh, not like a barrel of monkeys, <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> so it's like, how do I, she's funnier, but she's also depressed. So mm -hmm. like, how do I, and I swear the book is good. I love this book. But I was like, how do I make this funnier? <laughs> it's not a secret, but like, I was like, you know what? She's going to work part of the time at a bakery and the big back 
this surly, crusty, big dude named Carl, who's going to, I think, be the mailman character of the second book, is going to listen to monster fucking audiobooks in the back of the bakery <laughs> because he has, it turns out, a bit of a history with the, the narrator. So, like, and it, it gets into the point where, where Athena, the man, mailman character, is trying to get back at the mailman character, their neighbors, and she opens their windows and plays like some of these audiobooks at top volume. So he has to listen to like Sasquatch double penetration. <laughs> He's trying to like pay his bills at night. Um, and so, and then the neighbors are kind of into it. <laughs> Story hour. <laughs> and so I use some of the stuff like that, you know, some of those sort of uh, side stories to sort of add the lightness and the humor, which at the beginning of the book, especially the first like bit of the book is not going to come as much. I mean, hopefully mm -hmm. there's still some, I actually think it's quite a funny book, but um wanted to make sure that that added some levity in the same way the interstitials did. There are no interstitials in, in this one because it doesn't make sense. It's not about fandom. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, so I, I was like, you know what? You know what would lighten this? Gargoyle fucking... <laughs> That's what would okay, like. but like that feels like real life though at times. Like at the worst times, like you're gonna leave a terrible thing happening and like be cracking up five minutes later at the weirdest thing because that's just like yeah, how yeah. you relieve the stress of it. So like it's perfect. That's great. You know, who was oh, there for gosh. me in my darkest owl? Um, it was the shadow creature and his tricks. Listen. <laughs> I love my gargoyles, so I'm here for this. I mean, I think, you know, like, I think there's a reason that, uh, you know, monster erotica has taken off in the midst of COVID, right? I mean, like, there is something to that. Absolutely. And I read it. Like, I mean, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, fun at it. But, like, I'm poking fun out at it, not at a sense of mockery, but just right. because I think it's, I think it gets it gets wild is why <laughs> it does i mean yeah i read it too so it does it gets it's a lot it's, yeah. there's I a lot love, one of the things i love is like i'm sure that the the authors who do this i'm not against writing it myself someday but i have to figure out what bonus features will the will the penises have like they all have like bonus features yes. and i'm like how do you get what bonus features it'll have and so like that's one of my ongoing jokes in, in the book is like it's like how how are human dicks supposed to compare to this like, they don't vibrate there's no there's not ridged like, there are no spurs no oh my gosh but you know what there is i saw how did i come across this i saw somebody posting about it there are um like businesses that sell toys mm -hmm. that are designed mm -hmm. to be like that yes. oh yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah like you know is it, yep mm -hmm. yeah. yeah oh my gosh i can send that. you links later yeah, we have gone in church. I know we've been, I feel I feel like we could talk to you all day, but like I know we've had you for a while on this. Um so yeah. Everybody should go read Shipwrecked, read all of Olivia's books. They're all 
absolutely amazing. We do want to, before we close out the episode, do On My Radar, where we're going to talk about some recent or upcoming book releases in sci-fi, fantasy, and romance that we're excited about. And Olivia, I don't know if you have anything that you think people should be aware of that you wanted to share. You do not have to, but. Well, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. Okay. Both, like, I have a lot of friends within the romance community. These are both people who I consider good friends. So, like, no, you know, no interest undisclosed here. But I genuinely think they're amazing. So, uh, one of them has a book that just came out, and another one has a book in January. So, Therese Bahari is a dear friend of mine, and she had a ghost in shining armor come out. And I love, I grew up reading, uh, well, romances of all sorts, but there used to be Silhouette as well as Harlequin. Mm-hmm. And occasionally they would have uh, in the you know, category romances, right? Sometimes they would randomly have like paranormal ones and including one where there was like a ghost hero or there'd be time teller. he could set things on fire with his eyes. That's legit. Like an old Ann Stewart, like he could do that. And it wasn't in a separate line. You would just be like, this one, he's a rancher. And then the next one, like, yes, he sets fires with his mind. (laughs) And it would just show up and it was awesome. And there wasn't like a ton of world building to it. Like it wasn't meant to be. That wasn't what it was. But here we are in this reality. We're like, dude is a ghost. (laughs) Like, here we go. Like, what does that mean? Uh, I love the way Therese did this because it was not, I love world building too, but I don't, it doesn't really bother me if it's like, this is the way things are. So now let's deal with the situation as it stands. Um, mm-hmm. And her, her male main character is, I think if you're a ghost and Mrs. Muir person, or if you like me sort of love the stories um, like that, I think it's really, really cool. It brings me back to my days of uh, reading about, I'm just trying to think, yeah, it was Rebecca. Was it Rebecca Flanders? Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but they had books like that sometimes. So, and Therese is uh, really unafraid of, you know, sometimes difficult topics. And I love that uh, her books are set in South Africa. She's African. So that just came out like a week or two ago. And my other dear friend Emma Berry has a book coming on Chick Magnet, and it is uh, a chicken influencer on YouTube named Chick Nick. <laughs> and she is like, she becomes big during the pandemic because everyone's at home and she's sort of, they're, they're like, yes, I have chickens at home. And so she becomes big. And then there's, she's next door to this grumpy Viking-esque veterinarian <laughs> who's pissed because all these people got chickens who weren't ready to have chickens. And then there were things that went, and he had to deal with the chickens at that point from all these like <laughs> oh, these no. unprepared chicken owners. So she moved next door, uh, and and then they they meet, and it's it's funny, but her books are so smart, and they're also um, they're so full, and they're realistic in ways that like these are not. His, his business is in trouble. Like his main sort of things in there is his veterinary business is, is like going under. And like, that's not, not, he's not a billionaire businessman. Like her books are always very grounded sort of in realities of various mm-hmm. things. 
fast. She's one of my she's one of my favorite writers, period. Uh, and she deserves a much larger audience than she's had. She's publishing it through Montlake, so through Amazon. Okay. And that's coming out in January. And I can't wait for her to have a much larger audience. Um, well, both of them. But uh, Emma's been away from writing for longer. And I can't wait for people to read her work. That's awesome. Cool. Um, um, man that my proposed title other than I other than chick magnet was <laughs> I really desperately wanted her to title it down to pluck. <laughs> but <laughs> if she does a sequel, I feel like it has to be down to pluck. Like that just I, has to I, I actually used that in the book I just wrote because I was like, <laughs> you sure you don't need that? I, I won't tell you how I use that, but I was okay. like I mean also, you, you should. That's great. Also, this is apparently a theme of mine. One of my alternate titles for spoiler alert, mm -hmm. which my Avon was like, no, <laughs> was uh, down to fic. <laughs> <laughs> or for fix sake. And they were like, no, yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely not. Like, no, too much. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my God. Wow. Um, awesome. So yeah, go check those out. We've got, and then I, I know Izzy, we've got a few, you know, one coming out November 15th is Before I Let Go by Kennedy Ryan, who I love. And this one is a second chance romance between a divorced couple who are co-parenting their kids and then things kind of heat up between them again. I'm sure it's going to be beautiful and heartbreaking and steamy because that's what she does. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. It'll one. make you cry at some point, right? Like it's it's mandatory. Of course. <laughs> um my other my one of my November 15th ones is Villain I'd Like to F, which is a continuation of the Like to F anthologies. I about called it series. I mean it is a series, I guess, with various authors. Um this one it has Sierra Simone, Eva Lee, Nicola Davidson, and Joanna Shoup. I'm just excited to see what they do. Uh, I liked this, what I read of the other anthologies, like I've read bits and pieces and I just think they're really fun yeah. and they're great puns. I mean, they're yeah. great jokes on the whole like trope for that. And I, I do like a villain, so. I'm sure they'll be fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, also coming out November 15th is Tread of Angels by Rebecca Roanhorse. This is a fantasy novel with a car about a card sharp with a penchant for trouble who's defending her sister who'd been accused of murdering a member of the ruling class in their mining town. It's mm -hmm. a new world of dark fantasy that she's exploring. So I love her books. Excited to see which, where that goes. Uh, then we have Pride and Protest on November 15th as well by Nikki Payne. This is an interracial romance. Uh, Pride and Protest retelling, obviously, from the title, if you didn't piece that together. Uh, Le 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 oh, boy, my mouth just did not want to say her name. <laughs> Liza is trying to save her neighborhood from the property developers, trying to develop it. And Dorsey, the Filipino son who's been adopted into a white family, is like the CEO of the company and thinks she's kind of just a joke in there to like cause fake outrage and then a meme goes viral and brings some trouble for both of them so i uh, i love the setup of a meme going viral for a climax moment of some kind to throw them together yes 
Um, and then the last one I have is November 22nd, Two Wrongs Make a Right by Chloe Lease. This is a modern romance retelling of Much Ado About Nothing, which is maybe my favorite, one of my favorite plays by Shakespeare. So I'm excited to see what she does with that. It looks, it looks like fun. It's got a cute cover. I read that one. It's excellent. It's perfect. Oh, they, asked me to, they asked me to blurb that one. And I was delighted to blurb that one because it was so good. It was so oh, good. good. Oh, that's good to hear. I'm excited. I think it'll be fun. I'm very excited for that one. Yay. Well, thank uh, you. So oh, okay. do you have another we have one? We have one more. We have one more. Okay. 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 Like, no, I'm, no, I'm no, jumping the gun. <laughs> you jumped the gun. Wow. Wow. Right. I see how it is. No, it's fine. Uh, the last one on November 22nd is Astrid Parker Doesn't Fail by Ashley Herring Blake, the sequel to Delilah, Delilah Green Doesn't Care. Mm hmm. This is based around a renovation show, and I hate, I do not like renovation things. Like, I have no interest. Uh, but I'm so excited for this, because I love Delilah Green so much. And this is about her sister, Astrid, who's, like, career-obsessed, very driven, just left her fiancé a year ago. And the carpenter who comes in, and it's their rivals to lovers. It's sapphic. I'm pumped. Like, I don't think it's full-blown enemies. It doesn't sound like it's full-blown enemies, but they definitely don't like each other to some extent and have to like play up their tension for their show. So I'm very excited to see how that plays out. Yay. Yeah, yes. of course. I'm excited for that. Well, thank you so much to Olivia for joining us. This was really fun. It's been lovely to get to, to chat with you and for everybody. If you enjoy the podcast, we do appreciate if you take a moment to rate and review us so we can continue to reach more listeners. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content with every episode, consider supporting us on Patreon. Huge thanks to all of our supporting patrons who make what we do possible. I will be back in two weeks with Liana for our discussion of the wisdom of crowds by Joe Abercrombie, finishing up our final book in the year-long read-along we've been doing so join us for that and this has been chapter three podcast we're your hosts bethany and izzy and you can follow us on twitter instagram and tiktok at chapter three podcast and find us on our individual youtube channels the next episode will be available in two weeks and this episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days thanks for listening thank you so much for inviting me it's been lovely yeah it's been 